Welcome to The Runway, where we cover current events in crypto, Web3, and tech. It's Thursday, January 18th. Let's take off. First up, crypto traders in China are meeting in laundromats and snack kiosks for secret deals. Report. Traders are resorting to covert methods to trade crypto in China, the WSJ said. They are meeting in laundromats and using a covert brokers, the report said. China has stringent anti-crypto rules. Chinese traders are rewarding, resorting to a range of covert methods to subvert the law and trade cryptocurrencies, according to the Wall Street Journal. Others are easily able to access crypto exchanges based outside China using virtual private networks. It added, it used to be that you meet someone in the back alley and hand the dealer bags of cash in exchange for what you want. Ben Charoen Wong, an assistant professor in finance at the National University of Singapore, told the outlet. Um, I think that you know censorship-resistant technologies will continue to evade control, right? Um, that's the whole point of the technology is, is sort of to enable and empower freedom, right? Um, so very similar to what we saw with Bitcoin mining, where you know today we actually have more Bitcoin mining going on in China than existed before they they instituted their authoritarian ban. Um, we're seeing the same thing just with people operating crypto, right? Peer-to-peer, it's it's almost impossible to stop. Just like it's impossible to stop people from downloading songs or pictures or whatever from the internet. You just can't stop it. Next up, Bitcoin having next major catalyst after spot Bitcoin ETF approvals, but history shows Bitcoin could dip to 34,000 by April. So who knows what happens? I mean, anything that happens, you know, price is just speculatory. It's very hard to predict these things with a crystal ball in the short term. Um, but I would say, yes, you know, Bitcoin, the Bitcoin having is definitely a major catalyst. It's going to, you know, shake some stuff up around mining companies and challenge profitability models. So, um, but historically, what we've seen is sort of this supply shock that occurs sometime after the halving, um, which results in even if the demand remains the same uh, in the supply shock, you know, will eventually work its way through. And, you know, the price has to move up or down to reflect that. And usually it's, it's up to reflect the supply shock, right? And this is sort of just built into Bitcoin's inflation model with its halving every four years, roughly. Next up, crypto fraud is less than 1% of the annual $3.2 trillion in legal activity in the traditional fiat monetary system. Uh, here's an interesting quote here. The current perception of the scale of fraud in the cryptocurrency and blockchain technologies ecosystem, now based largely on the scale of and level of headlines dedicated to the FTX fraud and Bankman uh, Freed's twisted branding of the effective altruism movement, along with the perception and supporting narratives that crypto is intrinsically fraudulent, does not match the real numbers relative to the roughly $3.2 trillion in annual illegal activity in the traditional fiat monetary system. Details here. So here's an interesting graph just to kind of show you where uh, crypto ranks when it comes to just global money laundering and different corruption, fraud, et cetera, right? So of the $3.2 trillion, you know, this giant circle, the 99.4% plus is the traditional fiat money that's, you know, being used in these different things. Um, so it looks like Dr. Andrzej Wisdalski is a lecturer at the University of Western Australia, recently compiled reports from the United Nations World Economic Forum and Crypto Analysis to produce this chart here. Um, in 2022, the crypto and blockchain industry fully demonstrated frontier uh, domain dynamics as it dealt with with widespread fraud and wealth destruction. While it is important to sympathize with those financially impacted and pursue law enforcement and legal action to deal with the outright fraud, we remain convinced that this churn is effectively the period of creative destruction in blockchain. A very interesting takes here. Let us move on to our next article, which sort of ties all this stuff in. Stablecoins enabled $40 billion in crypto crime since 2022. Um, so when we're looking at you know the crime that did occur in the crypto industry, we can further break it down here. And it looks like a new report from Chainalysis finds that stablecoins like Tether tied to the value of the US dollar were used in the vast majority of crypto-based scam transactions and sanctions evasion in 2023. We can pull up this sort of chart here and we can look at it. Um, the, the orange sort of represents Bitcoin. And in 2021, 2022, you can see that, that the volume of, of any kind of illicit transaction 
transactions are fraud is largely swinging um, to the US dollar represented on chain with the stable coins, right? So any fraud that does happen in the industry, the majority is actually not occurring in uh, you know 2022, 2023. It's not occurring with Bitcoin and sort of the decentralized cryptocurrencies. It's it's in, it's, in, it's occurring with these sort of centralized stablecoin issuers um, and, and stablecoins themselves based off of the US dollar, right? So some very interesting analysis here. Um, we'll transaction volume by crime category. What we also found in 2023 is that um, if you look at this chart, you can look at the stablecoin crime, and then you can go to these sanctioned entities and sanctioned jurisdictions. And actually, you know, a lot of this supposed crime is actually just sanctioned jurisdictions, really um, utilizing, you know, essentially the people. A lot of the, a lot of this is just people in those nations, right? The mother in Iran who wants to protect herself from hyperinflation. You know, the the, the wife who's getting beat in this country and, and has no, you know, she it's illegal for her to open a bank account, right? Because of the repressive nature of her country, right? You know, she's the one who who has access here, and she may live in a sanctioned jurisdiction, right? Is it really ethical for, you know, what the West is sort of doing there, sanctioning the average person who, who is just trying to survive and get by and just trying to not be debased? Uh, you know, I would argue that it's not ethical to do that, right? And a lot of the sanctioned stuff really hits and hurts, you know, the poorest people the most, right? With North Korea, even as another example, we were sanctioning North Korea, but really it's, it's, it's sadly Kim Jong-un is, so he's got his underground basketball court and he's hanging out with Dennis Rodman. He's got his Ferraris, he's got his missiles and all of this stuff. Is it really affecting him that much? I mean, a lot of people can argue that the answer to that is really no. So some interesting stuff here. Tether's ethos revolves around transparency, compliance, and proactive collaboration with relevant authorities worldwide. So the interesting part is if law enforcement sort of does their job and they identify, you know, say, you know, sadly, we don't want to identify the, uh, the mother who has who's saving, you know, $200 for her kid's education, even though she's in a sanctioned jurisdiction. But, you know, larger transactions that are from government entities, you know, Tether and Circle, they can actually freeze these assets on chain. These are not decentralized in the same sense of uh, a currency like Bitcoin, right? So um, if if it is possible, if, if, it, if law enforcement does their job, a lot of these assets can sort of even be frozen on chain to comply with, you know, sanctions and different stuff. My take is that a lot of this is, I mean, obviously there's scams and all sorts of stuff going on, but, you know, a lot of it is probably the average person who live in these sort of oppressed regions just trying to have some uh, way to sort of protect their purchasing power and, they, and access to the US dollar. Here we have a quote from Chainalysis. Fearman says that Tether's efforts to freeze criminal funds are having an impact and more enforcement could help end stablecoins exploitation by criminals. Just as we've seen with compliant exchanges dominating more and more of total transaction volumes, illicit activity gets pushed to the fringes, Fearman says. Despite Tether's ability to freeze funds, Chainalysis data suggests that illicit use of stablecoins has so far dwarfed those seizures. West, the prosecutor, notes that most Tether associated with crime is cashed out for another currency long before anyone identifies it. That means Tether hasn't yet come close to solving the underlying problem. I applaud it. I'm all for it, West says of Tether's efforts to freeze criminal assets. But when we're talking about billions and billions of dollars in assets moving, I just think this is one piece of one piece of the puzzle. There are so many more pieces, and the bad actors are so far ahead of us. The question is, like I said, let's dig down and look at the actual illicit activity. Let's even break it down further and do a little bit more research, and let's see um, if it's, you know, this, a lot of it's occurring in, in a sanctioned jurisdiction. Um, you know, is, is this just the average people just trying to protect themselves and have, you know, some future for their for their children? And is that what this is? Or is this actual terrorist activity? You know, and there, there should be a differentiation there, in my opinion. Let's move on to our next story. Bitcoin mining sustainable energy usage hits all-time high of 54.5%. I uh, will turn off the speed reader here and pull up the article. Um, according to the Bitcoin ESG forecast, Bitcoin mining is currently the only primary global industry powered mainly through sustainable energy. The Bitcoin ESG forecast has revealed that Bitcoin mining using sustainable energy has increased to an, a new all-time high of 54.5% with sustainable mining rising by 3.6% overall during the calendar year of 2023. Kind of what we're seeing here is that out of all industries, Bitcoin mining itself, you know, seeks out and utilizes the most renewable resources, right? There's a reason for this. Uh, you know, there's a nice synergy 
synergy that occurs between green energy producers and miners, right? Because a lot of this green energy is in remote locations, or it's hard to access, or you know, a lot of it is wasted when it can't be stored, right? So Bitcoin mining sort of offers this unique way to sort of capture that wasted energy and to subsidize green energy projects, they move them forward faster. Even though a lot of the miners are getting cheaper rates on the energy in these locations, these remote locations, they're actually a consumer sort of of last last resort. So um, that sort of incentivizes more green energy production. Let's move on to our next story here. Donald Trump vows to never allow creation of a CBDC in the United States. Uh, U.S. presidential candidate Donald Trump made the promise during a campaign speech in Portsmouth to a round of cheers and applause. We'll play this later on X when we pull up another tweet later, um, but you can kind of see what he says. He says, I will never allow the creation of central bank digital currency. Um, my take is sort of here after he won the Iowa primary. I think uh, Vivek Ramaswamy uh, basically conceded and, and threw his uh, endorsement behind Donald Trump. And he you know, is probably talking to him about this, right? Because Vivek and RFK Jr. were the two candidates who really understand our industry and have done the, the research and, and, and understand sort of the nuance, right, of the technology. So um, he's probably talking to Trump about this and, and, and catching him up to speed, which is nice to see. We got our next article, which is kind of following up this. Trump vows to never allow creation of one dangerous technology in U.S. Absolute control. Um, it kind of quotes him here where Trump says, um, his promise came at a New Hampshire rally on Wednesday night and comes after the most pro-Bitcoin 2024 Republican presidential candidate, Vivek Ramaswamy, dropped out of the race and endorsed Trump. This would be a dangerous threat to freedom, Trump said. You know, you know what they're doing. Such a currency would give a federal government, our federal government, the absolute control over your money. They could take your money and you wouldn't even know it's gone. A CBDC would be a digital version of the United States fiat currency, the US dollar, instead of using physical coins and banknotes. People would digitally send money to peers and institutions, much like government-sponsored Venmo or PayPal. Um, so, and here's the key right here. Um, the drawback of a CBDC, Trump explained, is the increased ability for a government to monitor, freeze, and seize assets of a private citizen. CBDCs differ from the traditional from traditional currencies like Bitcoin in that the latter was initially used by a group of high-tech libertarians, often referred to as cypherpunks, to evade the eyes of the government, whereas CBDCs are the antithesis of Bitcoin and do not facilitate financial privacy or decentralization. I think we hit the nail on the head here. Um, let's see here. CBDCs are an attempt to use the underlying design of Bitcoin, but with a centralized administration. Therefore, they are as dangerous as any central control mechanism used by authoritarians. Donald McIntyre, senior editor of ETC Cooperative, told the Washington Examiner. Could not agree more here with the take. Um, I think he just knocks it out of the park. Um, and it's good to see that more more political candidates are stepping up uh, to defend our freedom. Next up, a little interesting article I thought um, and something to think about, right? Crypto can make messy divorces even messier. Crypto's unique nature makes it trickier to recover typical assets in a marital split. Imagine having listened to your soon-to-be ex-spouse go on and on about Bitcoin, only to hear him claim crypto poverty when divorce papers are served. Why it matters. Crypto's unique nature makes it trickier to recover than typical assets in a marital split. The big picture, the fact that crypto can be self-custodied or held on a USB drive doesn't change what spouses are legally entitled to, according to Citrin Cooperman's advisor, Mark Michael. Um, what he's saying, usually the first place I'm going to try and identify is the on and off ramps. There's a limited number of ways a person gets their cryptocurrency, but mostly they buy it on an exchange, right? So interesting, right? Because crypto is property, right? So if you're married and you have property and you've acquired it while you're married, your wife or husband could be, you know, due to their share of that property, right? It just makes sense. Of course, obviously, it might be harder to identify if you're not paying attention. Let's move on to our next story. Tether makes $380 million Bitcoin purchase, holds 66,465 Bitcoin. Um, very interesting move here by Tether. I'd love to see it. Um, they're basically um, 
have taken sort of their profits they're getting from the U.S. government, which is, um, you know, if you're buying government bonds and stuff like that, um, and you're issuing tokens off that, they're actually making an, a, a very impressive yield off of those sort of treasuries that they have. And they're using that, that their profit to sort of, you know, acquire Bitcoin and acquire more holdings and, and get involved in mining, um, stuff like that, right? So it's nice to see to them to reinvest back in the ecosystem and support uh, sort of the decentralized ethos of the space while also, you know, following through on their, their core business model. I think there's been a lot of tethered FUD over the years. Um, at the end of the day, I think that, it, I think I saw that, uh, I'm not sure what his name was, but I think he's a large uh, hedge fund or, or uh, banking advisor or something like that. And basically he, he, he said that he is, I think he's responsible for sort of custodying a lot of their bonds or their assets. And he says that, um, you know, he's basically putting his name out there and the institution is like a hundred years old, right? So he's putting his name in his institution as the CEO sort of behind Tether and saying, yes, I've sort of seen the attestations and they've got the goods, they've got, they've got the reserves there um, and they are operating with billions of dollars of profit, right? So that is very uh, good for the space in a lot of ways. Next up. Here's why Bitcoin's hash rate fell by 25% three months before next halving. The Bitcoin hash rate tumbled 25% since the weekend, raising network security concerns as the halving event nears. The Bitcoin hash rate has experienced a 25% drop since the weekend, raising concerns about the security of the network just ahead of the highly anticipated halving event. Interesting. You know, what could this be? Why is this happening? Um, I think that uh, the security uh, implications are pretty much overblown here. Um, but here's a little tweet kind of diving into it a little bit by Dennis Porter. Bitcoin hash rate hits lowest point in months due to miners giving back power in response to extreme winter storms across the USA. This ensures that families are staying warm and hospitals stay open to save lives. Bitcoin is one of the best grid balancing tools on the planet. So, um, really, really kind of cool here example of, uh, you know, curtailment happening in real time, right? Um, as, as Texas is sort of the mining capital of the world now, you know, most of the, most of the hash rate is in, you know, the U.S. and Texas is a big part of that. And, uh, you know, basically these curtailment programs are sort of being called into action here. Um, they're basically saying, Hey, you guys need to shut down. We really need this power. We have a lot of stress on our grid and Bitcoin is, you know, responding here. The Bitcoin miners are responding, which is nice to see. Um, scams are up. Here's an, uh, another take on another article here. 80 million in crypto disappears into drainer as a service malware malware hell. Inferno drainer campaign represents a dangerous evolution in crypto drainers, credibly spoofing Coinbase and maintaining a vast infrastructure for rent biz. Um, so kind of what's happening here, these are basically examples of classic man in the middle attacks, right? Where, um, you know, you get an email and it looks like it's from Coinbase, but it's actually from Inferno drainer uh, at, at AOL.com. And, and it still looks like Coinbase and you don't actually do the due diligence to check. And it says, oh, here's free money, right? Press this link and connect your wallet. Um, so, you know, a fool and their money are soon parted and, and these are sort of phishing campaigns and, you know, they happen all over the place. So be wary of your assets, you know, just like if you meet somebody in the street who asks for, uh, you know, Hey, I'm going to make you money. Just, just let me, let me have access to your bank account. Would you do it? The answer is no, you wouldn't, you wouldn't give them your, uh, access to connect your bank account to their thing so they could take all your money. Right. So same thing here, be diligent. Uh, you, nothing is ever free. So first, they created malicious web pages that spoofed brands like Coinbase, Seaport, and Wallet Connect, which are used to connect crypto wallets to decentralized trading platforms and other applications. This idea was to lure unsuspecting users into connecting their cryptocurrency wallets with the attacker's infrastructure to the group IB analysis on Inferno Drainer. In other words, Marks believed they were using the legitimate services, but in reality, they were unwittingly authorizing the malicious siphoning of funds. Worryingly, the scripts the cyber attackers used for the Web3 impersonation are available in GitHub repositories or as a separate .zip file hosted on a file sharing site, the researchers noted. Meanwhile, to attract targets to the sites in the first place, the adversaries promoted the pages on social media sites, including X and various Discord servers. As lures, they promised free airdrops 
uh, crypto tokens as an opportunity to mint non-fungible tokens, or ironically, compensation for outages caused by cyber criminal activity. In all, the Inferno Drainer assailants here spoof dozens of companies that offer specific coins, tokens, or exchange services. So um, I see these on X all the time. Uh, links and tags. I just report them as spam and you know, or as fraud, financial fraud. Um, it's good to continue to do that. But you know, again, like I said, a fool and their money are soon parted. So uh, be vigilant out there. Be careful. Uh, don't let people impersonate. Uh, don't fall for these easy scams um, or even some some well executed scams. Always be skeptical, um, right? Don't click on links you get in your email that just is promising you free money or free funds because nothing in this life is free. <laughs> Let's move to our next story. Here is a interesting GameFi article about a company called Animoca Brands. So Diary of a Disruptor, the future of metaverse and Web3 gaming with CEO of Animoca Brands, Robbie Young. Um, I thought this was kind of interesting. Um, looks like they've, they're basically um, investing in all sorts of new sort of GameFi and Web3 projects. Um, so our primary focus is Web3. Web when eva evaluating companies, Especially startups, we ask ourselves how they leverage the tools, community spirit, philosophy, and ethos of Web3, but most importantly, the network effects of Web3. The ability to offer something genuinely transformative is crucial. Web3 isn't merely an additional marketing strategy or sales channel. It signifies a new way of engaging with customers and nurturing relationships. This distinction is significant, particularly for traditional corporate entities that inquire about their involvement in Web3. For many consumer companies, Web3 presents an opportunity to establish a direct relationship with consumers, right? Which is often lacking in traditional digital commerce instead of marketing through intermediary platforms like social media or e-commerce platforms. Web3 allows companies to engage directly with consumers in a trustless, verifiable manner. At the end here, they sort of asked them, uh, it's quite fascinating. My next question was about the major trends currently influencing the blockchain gaming industry. It seems like your core principle revolves around, revolves around interoperability and the integration of diverse communities. So the cool thing about Web3 here is that at the heart of it all is this concept of ownership. Blockchain technology in Web3 enables true digital ownership, which is a fundamental shift. Gamers have been accumulating items and assets in games for years, whether through purchase, collection, or earning, but true ownership was often elusive. Now in Web3, once you own these in-game items, you possess the rights of a property owner. You can trade, gift, or sell them, opening the door to building digital asset value around these digital possessions. Um, this technology is not going away. Web3 is this idea that gives you know the, gives users back ownership of their assets in these games, right? Um, just like social media, right now the all the ownership is you know all your data, everything sort of belongs to to Facebook in a way, or to uh, whatever social me com media company you're using, right? You're essentially the product, and you know they are packaging you up and selling you selling your data away, right? And you really don't have any ownership of your experiences or your data. All the all the sort of ownership of the protocol itself, you know, goes to Facebook. Whereas with Web3, you you know the protocol itself is owned by the people, right? It's owned by the people who are using it. It's owned by the, the users. It's owned by the gamers, right? And Web3 and, and blockchain gaming is no different. Next up, we have a story about a company called Safari or Safari. Safari raises $2.4 million to build Google Analytics platform for Web3. A lot of private, uh, privacy concerns around Google and the way they sort of capture their analytics, whether it's even legal. Um, I know a lot of things are changing this team, uh, so Google's plan to phase out third-party cookies by 2024 means marketers will no longer be able to use the tracking methods they've long relied on to understand user behavior, personalize experiences, and optimize campaigns. Acknowledging this impending shift, Safari empowers marketers with the ability to protect user privacy while collecting only the data they need to make informed decisions. Um, I thought this was an interesting hire here. 
Safari's team is a unique blend of growth and privacy experts. Their founding engineer, Ricardo Carvalho, holds a PhD in data privacy, and the company's technical advisor is among the leading experts on decentralized identity and privacy, having spent six years as tech lead at Consensus. So um, very cool here, you know, as blockchains evolve and as you know more th stuff comes on chain uh whether it's real world assets or nfts or activity or you know staking contracts all these different things right there's a lot of data that's sort of produced right and a lot of it is on chain right so um it's obviously there's going to be you know f sort of firms who who are going to capture some of those analytics and they're going to package them and sell them to businesses and different things um but you know obviously it's nice to see a focus on privacy um when they're building out these these types of things right so very cool. Very cool. Nice to see privacy conscious um, firms emerging here in Web3. Next up, um, full disclosure, um, I am a holder, obviously, of different tech companies, and which include semiconductors. Um, US semiconductor index jumps as TSMC signals strong AI chip demand. You know, no doubt here, there's nothing um, surprising about this, right? With a strong demand for AI and GPU based compute, and just chips in general. Um, you know, I expect this to go parabolic over the next decade and potentially longer, right? Um, because chips, you know, it's very, it's very resource intensive to make that little chip, right? It requires a lot of uh, fabric, fabrication and super high uh, and lasers and technology to, to sort of do that, right? And there's only so much silicon you can produce, right? There's a, a finite amount that can be produced currently. So no surprise here, that's going to continue to be bullish as the next decade plays out. Next up, Bill Gates floats global governments during discussion of AI regulation with Sam Altman. If the key is to stop the entire world from doing something dangerous, you'd almost want global government, Gates said. Uh, wow. The authoritarians are out in full force. Um, that's my take here, right? So while I do think there's some benign maybe intent here of, of just trying to, you know, stop bad things from happening, um, it's strange that the sort of answer is let's, let's centralize more power and let's be more authoritarian, right? Let's uh, give... Let's continue to consolidate, continue to centralize, right? That seems to be the theme here with a lot of these people who think that uh, the government is really the answer to everything. Many of you remember a couple of weeks back, I shared a, a video here about the government, you know, the, the, the military basically saying that they're going to allow drones just autonomously. They're not going to take off the table that um, AI and drones can be used to just kill whoever they feel like, right? So um, without any human, without any human, uh, you know, feedback that was uh, extremely disturbing, right? So, um, people need to be careful what they wish for if they want the government to sort of uh, to re Big Brother to regulate everything. Um, I, I don't know if Big Brother is always going to make the, the best decisions when it comes to that. And you know that that Pentagon drone story or that story about uh, you know drones having autonomy to decide whether or not to kill humans without any human you know being involved in that decision making process is extremely disturbing and uh, extremely Orwellian. All right, let's move on to some spicy takes. First up, Uber CEO has said that Uber will 100% definitely accept Bitcoin and crypto payments in the future. Uh, very cool to see. Um, you know, obviously, as, as time goes on, there's going to be more adoption, right? So this is just one step in that direction. You're going to see more and more companies as time goes on. And that's just that's also, you know, shown on all fundamental charts that you could look at, you know, the, the increasing adoption, the increasing usage, right? It's just sort of up and to the right. <laughs> just in, Bitcoin ETFs surpass silver ETFs in the U.S. to become second largest ETF commodity by AUM, which is assets under management. Um, so, you know, it took about a week and Bitcoin is now, you know, larger than silver ETFs. Very uh, interesting, um, but not surprising. Next up, Elon Musk. Uh, this, this I thought was absolutely fascinating. If you guys have some time, highly recommend listening to this. So what this is actually is um, uh, Javier Miles, uh 
talk that he gave at the WEF in Davos. And he basically, we, there was an AI that was used to translate using his voice, but it just translated it to English, right? So um, with his own accent, and uh, I thought it was just fantastic, right? So this is just an example of AI tech being used to sort of enhance um, as a tool to sort of enhance different things, right? So it's about 23 minutes long. Highly recommend just taking the time to listen to all the things he's saying here. Um, I'm going to play like the last, I think, like maybe one minute or so here because um, I think it is definitely worth uh, giving a listen to. Uh, and those who are not but are following us from around the globe, whether they're here or not physically, don't be intimidated by the political caste or the parasites who live off the state. Don't yield to a political class that only wants to prolong its power and preserve its privileges. You are social benefactors. You are heroes. You are the creators of the most extraordinary era of prosperity we have ever experienced. Don't let anyone say ambition is immoral. If you earn money, it's because you provide a superior product, better price, contributing to well-being. Do not yield to the advance of the state. The state is not the solution. The state is the problem itself. You are the true protagonists of this story and know that from today you have Argentina as an unconditional ally. Thank you very much and long life freedom, damn it. Wow, that was just a fantastic speech, right? If you listen to the whole thing, it just gives you goosebumps. Um, he just he just gets it, he understands it, and he sort of just knocks it out of the park. Next up, um, I thought this was a really cool response. It's a little bit longer. Um, I probably won't read the whole thing here, but uh, you know, there was sort of this Mustafa Suleiman warns AI is a fundamental labor replacing tool over the long term. Um, it seems like just sort of people begging for regulations before we, we really have any uh, actual things to regulate just yet, you know, before we know what we're actually, you know, regulating, right? So Daniel Jeffries has a really cool response here. Imagine if all the people creating the web browser and the early internet were constantly warning you that the internet would destroy the world instead of doing what it actually did, which is, which is make the world more connected than ever before while giving you the access while giving you access to all the world's knowledge. We probably would have a bastardized version of the net, not the open, democratizing net that let anyone communicate with anyone else directly over massive distances. Of course, every technology has its downside, and the internet has some, and AI will have some too. But I don't understand this obsession with people who work in AI and want to tell you all the bad things that it will do. The mainstream media just eats this stuff up because that's what they do, conflict and horror. So they happily keep asking the same questions like when will, when will AI kill us all or destroy all the jobs? And these folks just keep answering. Tonight's story is doom. When will we wake up from this collective delusion and realize that this is subconscious status seeking by folks who want to inflate their importance in the world and that there is no basis for what they are saying? How long will it take before we realize that what Altman said recently is the most likely scenario? That AGI will arrive and it will change the world, but not as much as we expect. Just like every technology before it, we find balance with technology. We adapt. That's what we do. Um, so, very interesting, worth a read. Um, I like this last part at the end. They are leading us to a world where one of one or the more important technologies of the future is crushed and controlled by a tiny group of people who can censor anything and bend the AI to their worldview and filter out everyone else's instead of you interacting directly with people. Once people default to asking AI for everything, instead of looking it up themselves, AI becomes our interface to the digital world. We don't want the interface controlled by a few companies who can warp it and force it down a narrow channel with a limited worldview, rather than showing you the vast and wonderful diversity of life. 
That's what you should really fear, not AI turning you into a paperclip. You should fear people who think open is dangerous when open is the foundation for all greatness, right? So um, we've sort of seen this, and I always rag on OpenAI about this, but the company was called OpenAI, and now they are closed. They've done the complete opposite of what the, their ethos of, the, of their company is. It's just, it's just absolutely ridiculous. Um, but um, kind of what he's describing here is, is exactly what's happened with Google, right? Instead of looking it up themselves, you know, Everybody just goes to, to Google that, right? And Google is now involved in the same exact thing. You know, they are, they are controlling the interface and they are warping it and they are forcing you down a narrow channel, like he's talking about here in a limited worldview, right? They're, they're pushing propaganda and, uh, you know, nonsense blogs up to the top of these search results, right? To try to bend people and so, and essentially, uh, manipulate people and uh, socially sort of engineer people, right? So um, we're seeing the same thing with 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 when I use ChatGPT. You know, I get the same responses and the same kind of like you know engineering and you know the, this sort of uh, imposing this um, the social engineering on me, right? And I don't want that, right? I want an open AI. I want to see what's in the code. I want to be able to configure it and change things around, right? Um, so I, I think he hits the nail on the head here. So great little read. Next up. Uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, we talked about this uh, sort of earlier. Um, you know, I think this is a big part of why Trump is coming out against CBD, anti-CBDCs. Uh, and it's nice to see, right? Um, because, you know, CBDs really, CBDCs are really the antithesis of what Bitcoin is. So let's just give this a quick little play right here. Um, and tonight I'm also making another promise to protect Americans from government tyranny as your president. I will never allow the creation of a central bank digital currency. You know about that? Um, so you can hear the applause and cheers. It's nice to see Trump getting on the right side of history with this one. Next up, I'm kind of further touch on this, um, which I thought was kind of interesting, right? Um, Donald Trump's trading card team to release official Trump trading cards on Bitcoin ordinals. Um, so great news. Something amazing is coming your way. You purchased a hundred digital Trump, uh, digital trading cards on collecttrumpcards.com mugshot edition. As part of your purchase, you get a one of one Trump digital trading card NFT. Your one of one card will be minted as a Bitcoin ordinal. Um, so it looks like there's only going to be 200 of these one of one Trump digital trading card mugshot edition Bitcoin ordinals will ever exist in the world. The first ever Trump trading card officially created on the Bitcoin blockchain. Um, I think this is really freaking cool, right? So it seems Trump is starting to learn um, and and sort of get involved in the ecosystem, right? He's he's uh, you know he said some said some anti Bitcoin sort of things uh, you know four or five years ago, and I think since then you know he, he's evolved as an individual and he's hey there's some business opportunities here. Hey, this, there's some there's something here. Um, this technology is interesting, right? Um, very interesting, right? So he's he's actually capturing this like this sort of historical uh, moment, this cultural moment where a former president was you know tried was 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 basically arrested and taken in for a mugshot, right? Uh, I think they got that uh, that Fanny lady who's using her boyfriend and paying him a bunch of money, and they're going after Trump in Georgia. I mean, it's just absolutely absurd what's happening in in America. Um, you know, totally, 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 you know, whack. You see this stuff in third world countries, kind of what's happening right now. Um, you know, cra crazy behavior um, and to sort of capture that moment and put that on chain, I think is actually a wi very wise move, right? I mean, I could see these ordinals being worth, you know, um, I might have to figure out how do I can acquire one, right? I think I think it's capturing sort of this cultural moment in history um, and it's taking that and sort of putting this on chain, I think it's just, it's just fascinating. It's a fascinating, fascinating thing. Um, let's move on. 
in your opinion, who would be the best representative of Bitcoiners to go on Joe Rogan's podcast? Um, and I think there's a little vote here. We have Michael Saylor, Robert Breedlove, Jack Maller, Saifedean Amus. I uh, love all these guys. I think the vote, votes got it right uh, with Michael Saylor. Um, you know, Robert Breedlove would be my second choice um, just because he's so well versed for a long format conversation. And he's talked to so his podcast, The What Is Money Show is fantastic. Um, highly recommend. There's so many great episodes. I think the first eight or so or first nine, I believe, are a conversation with Michael Saylor going down the rabbit hole about Bitcoin. Um, I'll have my uh, editor... Um, put the put that information in the show notes here but great resource um can't go wrong with any of these guys loves uh, love safe's books he's got some fantastic books um you know the bitcoin standard my all-time favorite uh, jack's doing just done incredible work but i think just to speak to the masses um sailor and breed love would probably be the best choices here but uh, you can't go wrong with any of any of these choices and they've all done amazing things for bitcoin and for freedom next up um uh, Vivek here has posted, there is no second best Bitcoin, ETH killers, and it shows all these different coins. And then it says it shows BTC killers, right? So um, kind of just think about this, right? Um, you know, what is Bitcoin really? It's, I, in my opinion, it's just like sort of decentralized, absolute scar- absolutely scarce, um, fully fully inflation and, you know, monetary supply, knowable a- sort of asset, right? This this first discovery of sort of, of the network effects of absolute scarcity, right? So um, I, I think, you know, Bitcoin is this idea of this money, right? Whereas Ethereum and Solana and all these other blockchains, I think they are useful and they do serve a purpose and they are interesting and they do optimize for different technological things, right? Um, they may they may have money-like characteristics, right? But as this global reserve asset underlying money for all of humanity, I think, you know, there are no Bitcoin killers, right? There's no way to, to duplicate that network effect. There's no way to um, sort of, you know, lightning is not going to strike twice here, right? Um, this 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 brilliant, beautiful design of this idea of absolute scarcity, right? Um, you know, as this first discovery of that, um, I think is super important. Um, and you know, I do. I think ETH has a purpose. I think Solana has a purpose. I, I love what they're doing with the you know the EVM and um, with you know scaling transactions on chain and experimenting with different consensus mechanisms and NFTs and being able to store all this stuff on chain and be able to do smart contracts. I think you know they're really optimized for all those things, which are fascinating, right? But this idea of money, I think, you know, there's no replacing uh, Bitcoin and that ethos and that uh, culture and um, those those sort of fundamentals and the unchangeability and that track record of the history and the network effects. You just you just you just can't replace that, right? This idea of absolute scarcity. Next up, this was the precise moment when Bitcoin went from being a hobby to a necessity. Generational wealth, peace, and prosperity is what I'm now here for. What's your defining Bitcoin moment and what are you here for? Um, here's Alex, and it looks like she's marketing for uh, Bitcoin via Swan, which is really cool. Um, and, you know, Bitcoin really does make you think about, you know, if you have kids, you know, um, it makes you think about, you know, the future. It makes you think about being able to sort of protect your life energy, your work energy, right? You don't want to put, you know, money in, in, into a fiat currency that is going to just perpetually and constantly be debased, right? Where you're not encouraged to have any savings, right? So, you know, Bitcoin is money that you can use, and it's also money that you can have for a rainy day, right? You can sort of save for the future, you can sort of capture that life energy. And when there's an opportunity to deploy that, you absolutely will deploy that for something that is going to generate more, you know, more uh, revenue for you, right? But it's also will allow you to sort of have this savings that's protected from parasites that you can sort of, that can give you that, that security and that can give you that safety. And finally, um, Elon Musk added again, <laughs> so hot right now. He's got the, the Davos, <laughs> the Melee speech. <laughs> I think gotta love it. Um, he always crushes it out of the park with the memes. I love this one here. We got our buddy Klausy Schwab here with his little communist uh, badge on. <laughs> You're going to blame me for everything. You're going to just blame everything on us and leave. And then you got Javier Mille 
C. <laughs> Classic. Well, thanks for listening, guys. Stay safe, stay blessed, never stop learning, and keep an open mind. <laughs>